As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. everybody to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and with me today is a gentleman who loves a January camp. It's Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. <laughs> Hello, Taylor. I do love a January camp. I, what, what's more than that, I love two January camp rosters that's also just one roster. Yeah, uh, I, I like the intricacy <laughs> there. That's good. I, actually, my first question for you was going to be, is it fair to introduce you that way? Or should, have, should I have said a man who tolerates a January camp? But you've already answered that one. So let's instead talk about the kind of weirdness of that roster release. We are going to talk about uh, a few Americans who did things in Europe this past weekend. But we're going to start off with the January camp roster released today. The, the details would be we have 12 quote-unquote senior players called in. There are 26 U23 eligible players also called in in concurrent camps, as you said, Joe. They'll train together. Then the official wording was several U23 eligible players will be added for the friendly at the end of the month. So we won't have 12 players for the national team. That would be a bit risky. Um, were you – I don't remember anything like this before. I feel like usually we get a solidified January camp. I'm assuming this is mostly because of the Olympics and not any sort of outlier other than that. But what did you make of this roster release, Joe? I've never seen something like this before, but that's not to say that it's it's super complicated. It is a little bit strange, right? It's got the different age levels here, but it makes sense. It makes sense in the context of mm-hmm. the Olympics. It's That is going to start up in March for the United States men's national team's U23s. Jason Kreiss has got to lead that group in qualifying starting in March, and so it makes sense to give Kreiss time to work with these players. And, and instead of giving Greg Berhalter all of the guys that he would normally have. I mean, there are players on the U23-specific roster that Berhalter would have normally Mm -hmm. if this U23 camp wasn't happening. And so I think it makes sense for everybody, right? They train together. Berhalter and Kreis get to talk tactics or do whatever they want to do while the teams train together. And then Berhalter gets the players he needs for that game, likely at at the end of January, I believe, reportedly against Serbia. So I think it makes sense for everybody. All right. I, I didn't know it was reportedly against Serbia. I'm assuming it's going to be that Serbia B slash C team that we've played uh, in years past. Does that sound about right to you? 
Oh, yeah. It's all, I mean, it wouldn't be a January camp if it wasn't 18. We can't have the letter A outside of the word January. It has to be B or C or another alphabetical letter. Of course. So we are going to go through the rosters, uh, both of the different rosters, position by position. But I first wanted to ask you a question that Ryan or like sort of asked me uh, on a show last week, which was about the Olympics themselves and why I am sort of excited about them or why I, I care about the U.S. qualifying. I think it's probably less of a thing for Team GB. I think for a lot of countries, the Olympics are not that big of a deal. But I, uh, my answer was basically because we haven't been there in so long, it's a thing that I would like to sort of reestablish. And then obviously it gives youngsters competitive minutes. But for you, Joe, how much do you care about quali- qualifying for the Olympics? And uh, if the answer is more than just like a little, then why do you care? The answer is more than just a little, and it's because (laughs) of a lot of the reasons you said, right? It is, it's that idea of getting the United States back into that group, right? It's not a great indicator of where a national federation is necessarily, but we had that lost generation of players, right? We, we had that gap between Christian Pulisic's generation and, and then the generation, two generations before that. Really, Kellen Acosta and a couple other guys are the only people in that middle gap of players. Now we're headed into this next generation, and it's time, right? It's time to get these players in tournaments, to get them experience, to get them looks, and for Berhalter and Jason Christ to be able to evaluate these different guys. That's why I think a lot of United States men's national team fans are invested in the Olympics more than fans of men's teams from a bunch of different countries around the world. We haven't been there in a while. It's time to get a look at these players in tournament play. And you add those things together, and I think that's where the investment in the Olympic, even the qualification process comes from. And we are, listeners, like going to be breaking this roster down. But since it is so many MLS players, so many domestic players, uh, I, I do kind of want to rely on Joe's knowledge. He is the, I would say, expert when it comes to MLS. And that extends to Jason Kreiss as well. That's kind of where I want to start, actually, uh, is with your thoughts on Jason Kreiss as the Olympic coach. Because he is a manager who comes through initially, and, and it seems like, oh, he's able to do so much. Uh, he is a he's a talented up and comer. Doesn't go well at City. Doesn't really go well at Orlando City either, or NYCFC, I should say, not City. Uh, and then Orlando City. Like, where are you on Jason Kreiss as a coach? Do you think he works well for this one? Do you think we'll see him back at MLS anytime soon? Jason Kreiss confuses me mm-hmm. a little bit, right? I think back to his time coaching in Major League Soccer with that RSL team, right? That was kind of where it began. Thank you. I and, failed to say his and that team. Was, My bad. That team was good, <laughs> yeah. right? No, you're, you're good. That's a, that's a while back now as we are here in 2021 now. That team was good, right? right? They played that 4-4-2 diamond. They were fun to watch. But I don't know and I don't, I don't think the team was good because Jason Kreiss was an excellent manager. I think that team was good because they had really, really good players. And it's a fine line, right? And they're, they're intertwined, naturally, those two things, coaching and the quality of players. There has to be some overlap, but I don't know how much we can draw from that time that Jason Christ spent in Real Salt Lake. Then you move forward and he has other tenures in Major League Soccer with Orlando, NYCFC, as you said. And I don't, I mean, neither one of those were overwhelming successes, right? So then now we look at his time with the Olympic team and we haven't seen much of anything besides a, a couple games. I remember one against Brazil at some point in the last 12 months or so. We haven't seen him really do stuff with the United States men's national team's U23s. And so for me, Jason Kreiss is still a big question mark. He's got some talent to work with, and he's likely going to be playing within the same game model, the same style of play. Let me rephrase that. He will be playing yeah. within those same parameters that Baralter has set as the, the essentially the coaching head of the men's side of the program, which excites me, right? Because I think Jason Kreiss, 
he had a defined style of play back in Salt Lake, and he had that in other stops as well. So if he can take Berhalter's defined styles of style of play and implement that, this team could really be cooking with something, but I don't know. That's a really long-winded answer. Hmm. I don't know what Jason Christ brings, and I don't know how good of a job he's going to do. Right, we'll file that under. We will keep an eye on it. We are going to keep an eye <laughs> on that Olympic roster, but let's start with the senior team first. We have two goalkeepers listed in that 12-player roster. Sean Johnson of the aforementioned NYCFC and Matt Turner of the New England Revolution. As listener Shreyas Romani pointed out, we do have two former Richmond kickers included here, Matt Turner being one of them. Uh, Joe, I know you've got your lineup that maybe we'll get to later, but we can pepper it in here. Uh, I'm assuming you're okay with both of these players being included. Are there other goalkeepers you think should have been, or based on what we saw this past season, are these the obvious contenders from Major League Soccer? I think these are the obvious contenders, right? We don't have the the European players available or or any of the senior-level European players available in this group. So no Zach Steffen, even though we'll talk about him later on in the show. Sean Johnson and Matt Turner are guys that I think deserve to be here. Matt Turner is the analytics darling of Major League Soccer, (laughs) and I'm excited to see him get an appearance or even to see Sean Johnson get another look in goal. These guys are both both fully deserving of being in this Let's game. talk about that for a moment because Matt Turner does seem to be the name that uh, soccer Twitter, uh, American soccer Twitter specifically, uh, is very all about. People are hyped about him. It seems like there's this kind of growing... I shouldn't say consensus, just movement that like Matt Turner is the truth. Why does he have such love and support? He has great stats. His numbers, his underlying shot-stopping numbers. So I'm not going to work through all of it because I don't have the numbers up right now in front of me. But his his shot-stopping numbers compared to the rest of the goalkeeping pool in Major League Soccer are elite. His ability to stop shots is so good. And, and even better than a guy like Zach Steffen when he was in Major League Soccer. Turner is just a tier above almost every other goalkeeper in Major League Soccer. His distribution is is solid. It's good. He's a modern goalkeeper in that sense, but it's not it's not great. I'm not even sure it's at Zach Steffen level necessarily. But Matt Turner's ability to keep balls out of the back of the net is very good, and that's a pretty important skill if you're a goalkeeper. <laughs> I would say so. All right, so we've got our two goalkeepers there. Let's look at the defenders. Only three, again, on that senior team. Uh, Tristan Blackman of LAFC, Aaron Long of the New York Red Bulls, and Walker Zimmerman of Nashville SC. Zimmerman and Long, obviously, with a, a few caps between them. Tristan Blackman, uh, his debut here, hoping to get his debut. Uh, are you good with that one? Do you like seeing Blackman involved? Blackman's an interesting one for me. I was not expecting him to be in this group of players. He's above that Olympic age Mm -hmm. threshold, so he has to be in this senior group. He's a fun player. He played down here in Phoenix, so I got to see him in person a number of times while he was on loan with Phoenix Rising from LAFC. And then I watched him again even more recently with LAFC this past season and in CCL that we had at the end of 2020. And he's developed into a pretty good, versatile defender. He can play center back. He can play right back. He's a guy that I could see Berhalter using in a number of different ways. I don't necessarily think we're going to actually see him on the field in the one game at the end of January, but I like that he's included because he really does allow his coach, if that's Bob Bradley with LAFC or now Greg Berhalter, to do a bunch of different things, and I like that. Where do you think he would best fit, not even necessarily with this roster, but just in terms of the way Greg Berhalter likes to play? What are the sort of skills he's bringing that uh, necessitated this inclusion? It's hard to say because Blackman is, because he's that center back, right back hybrid, he's not a a very good threat getting high and wide on that right side. He's not Serginho Dest, not, not even with his skill on the ball, but with his positioning. When Dest plays for Barcelona or with the men's national team on the right side, he typically gets high and wide. 
Blackman isn't as suited to do that. He can, but he's better in that right half space, that little channel in that side of the field or even in the middle of the field. So I think I prefer him at center back as that right-sided center back in a back four, or if it was a back three, I think he'd be good for that spot. But then I I just kind of said it right there. If he's a right back for the men's national team, he can transition into playing as a part of a back three if Berhalter wants to change the possession shape. So we can do so many different things. But for me, if I'm setting up the team, I think he's an athletic, versatile, right-sided center back. So those are our three defenders moving to our three midfielders. This is the point when I literally did a double take because we have Sebastian Legette. That makes sense. We have Christian Roldan. Some will not like that, but he makes sense in terms of what we've seen from Berhalter in terms of past call-ups, but also the way he wants to play. I think uh, Berhalter has faith that Roldan can sort of execute the basic game plan. Kellen Acosta is not a name I expected of the Colorado Rapids. Uh, he, I believe I'm correct in saying, was a player that was either sent home or sort of surplus to requirements fairly publicly under Greg Berhalter earlier. So to see him back was a surprise to me. Were you as surprised with this one? I was not as surprised. And Taylor, we're all going to give you a pass here because Kellen Acosta was called up by Berhalter back in December Ah, when uh, when things were a little bit hectic for you, sir. (laughs) And so Acosta was in that camp for the El Salvador game and played just a tiny bit at the end of the game. So I was not as shocked to see him in this camp, but I was surprised to see him in December because of... The whole being sent home thing that you just talked about. So I think he's slowly establishing himself more and more in this group at this point. So since I did absolutely miss that uh, and really did just stop watching soccer for like a good three weeks, like why do you think he was brought back in? Like is it the performances with Colorado? Is he doing things that you think are uniquely suited to what Burhalter wants? Why do you think there was this sort of turnaround? I think Acosta fits into the mold of the central midfielder that Berhalter has just now discovered in 2020. Hmm. If we think about how the team plays now, in this this past year, I guess it is now, they play a 4-3-3, and especially defensively, I'm thinking about it. They play a 4-3-3 with one number six, that defensive midfielder, and then two number eights. And all three of those central midfielders, the six and the two eights, have to run and move and cover ground in the press. Kellen Acosta can do that as one of those number eights, even as a number six if he needed to. And I think that's why Berhalter likes him so much. He's got that range now. In contrasting with with the U.S. that, that Berhalter had mm-hmm. back in 2019, they didn't do as much running defensively. It was a 4-4-2 block. You didn't need hyper-mobile guys in midfield. That's changed now. And I don't think Acosta's game has changed after Berhalter sent him home. But I think Berhalter's plan has that's changed. Really and that suddenly makes Acosta a much better fit than he has been in the past. Huh. All right, that makes sense, which I, I like, because I think it shows the the ability to adapt, and then Kellen Acosta, the ability to continue to justify inclusion. So I like that. I also do enjoy, Joe, uh, you correctly pointing out that I was kind of unaware of those games because reading about some of the names that were on here and being like, Chris Mueller started? I don't really remember that, but now <laughs> I understand why I didn't remember that. Uh, yes, with our four forwards, we have uh, Chris Mueller, we've got Paul Ariola, we've got Jordan Morris, and we've got Mr. Joe. Z Altador. Four forwards there. Who should we talk about first? Let's talk about Chris Miller. Okay. You, you kind of segued us into him. I'm I'm really looking forward to potentially getting another look at him in this January game. I mean, I, mean, I can understand why, and I'm going to understand why based on at least those numbers of one appearance and two goals. That's not a bad way to start off. <laughs> not a bad way to start off at all. His impact on the field against a very, 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 very poor El Salvador team was notable. And and for, for it to be notable against a team that's that bad, he was impressive. He did things that I 
I expected because he played the same way that he does for Orlando, but I guess I didn't expect him to fit in so seamlessly and to take advantage of the opportunities in the way that he did. He was direct, breaking in behind the back line, allowing Io Akinola to drop in. Io Akinola, by the way, for mm-hmm. listeners out there, is in camp with Canada in January, so that's a bit of an interesting twist. Yeah. But with Akinola dropping down a little bit at times, Chris Mueller could break in beyond the back line. He would attack that seam between the ball side fullback and ball side center back for the defensive team. Chris Mueller was very good, and I think he earned himself certainly another look to be in camp. But maybe even if he performs well or at the same level he did in December, I think he should be starting this game. There's just another sneak peek for my, my lineup <laughs> later on. I think he should be in this group, this first choice 11 group for Berhalter in the game at the end of this camp. And this is sort of the group, the position that I'm most interested in, not just because it's where the goals come from, and that's always exciting, but because it's the one where I think the U.S. Ha- has some depth, but I don't think we have a ton of depth, and I also don't think we have the most quality at these positions. So anybody who can sort of raise their game or justify uh, that selection, continue to score goals either for club or country, makes me really excited. Chris Mueller would be one. Josie Altidore is still sort of on that list, despite, I'm going to say, not the greatest of seasons. Uh, we, we still have some of the kind of persistent issues we've, we've had with Josie in the past. How are you feeling about him getting in here? It's, it's good to see his name in the roster, because I think he is still the best number nine yep. in the player pool right now. And so that's, that's cool. I like that. But it's also... It's difficult because you never know if he's going to be healthy. You don't know if his hamstring is going to be in good enough shape for him for him to actually get minutes, and, and that question still stands. So if it's a healthy Josie Altidore, great, and I think he is the number one guy. But if not, we're asking the same questions we've been asking before. Mm-hmm. Who plays instead of Josie Altidore? So we just really get to continue that discussion for at least another month and likely throughout this entire year. And I'm uh, I'm I'm very much uh, looking forward to that. That was sorry. <laughs> uh, and rounding it out, uh, thoughts on Paul Ariola or Jordan Morris? Paul Ariola obviously missing uh, a not quite all of DC's season. Is that correct? Yeah, he he was injured. Ah, shoot, it's been so I think long he got ago a now. Few I can't games remember. And then it was out pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ariola is exactly who Paul Ariola has <laughs> yep. been. Just now, he's got a uh, a rehab ACL. Yep. He came back in that El Salvador game and scored a goal. A really awesome feel-good moment. But he's a guy who brings energy and, and hard running defensively on that right side and not a ton else with the ball. Jordan Morris has got that breaking speed to get in behind the back line. He is really competition for Christian Pulisic at that left wing spot. And I, I don't think that's completely unrealistic. Jordan Morris could be getting some minutes and maybe even move Pulisic over to the right side if Morris is in really, really good form when Berhalter eventually gets a look at both of them in camp. But for this group, I think Morris is a strong contender to get a look at that left-wing spot at the end of the month. Before we get 400 tweets and emails, just wanting to clarify here, you're not saying necessarily that Jordan Morris will send Christian Pulisic to the bench, correct? More so that he gives Burhalter options and maybe means Pulisic gets moved around a bit more than just naturally automatically starting on one wing or the other. Yes, the second thing, though. Cool. Morris is not going to put Christian Pulisic on the bench, but uh, he can move Pulisic around on the field. And give them a different look. So yeah, that's that's good. Thank you for clarifying so people don't get too mad at me. <laughs> I think, I mean, it still won't matter. We'll still get a, like, I can't believe Joe said uh, Jordan <laughs> Morris is better than Christian Pulisic. But just wanted to get that clarification in there early. Um, we are going to look at the Olympic roster. We are going to look at Joe's roster. And I want to kind of do half of that now, then take a break, and then finish it out. Joe, with your theoretical starting 11, how many of the 12 players we just discussed are in that starting 11? I'm counting right now. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. 
So who are the six you've got starting and where are they starting? Ooh, I like this. This is nice little sprinkling in now, and we'll get to more later. This is great stuff, Taylor. <laughs> I've got I've got Matt Turner in All goal. Right. So that's one guy we already talked about, analytics darling. He's uh, he's in my starting mm-hmm. 11 here in goal. And then moving forward to the defensive line, the only guy I have from the senior 12 is Aaron Long okay. as my left-sided center back. Interesting. So then moving forward into midfield, a guy we kind of brushed over, but I think we kind of know what yep. we get from him at this point. It's Sebastian Legette as the... The left-sided number eight in my lineup, I mean, he could be on the right. It doesn't matter a whole lot. That's just where I put him. He brings creativity. He was good against El Salvador. I'm not sure he's ever really had a bad game for the United States men's national team. So he's my my more creative wow. number eight. That is a really good point, man. Like, I'm surprised you say that and I think about it. And you're right. He is just a consistent, like, yeah, that's that makes sense. He's doing what he needs to be doing, be it as a starter or as a substitute. I do sort of love Sebastian Legette in a way that I was not prepared to love him. So there we go. All right. Good shout, Joe. He's I like good, that one. right? Yeah. I mean— He's got real skill, and I think oftentimes, I've said this on the show before, I think because he plays in Major League Soccer, we all kind of write him mm-hmm. off as, you know, he's not that creative, he's probably just another Christian Roldan. No slight intended to Christian Roldan, who does his own set of things on the field, but we think of Legette as being a pretty, you know, basic player, but he's not. He does a lot of great stuff, and that's why he's in my 11. I like it. Moving into that that forward group, that forward line, all three of these players are from the senior group of players. Josie Altador as my number nine, again, big caveat. If he's healthy, mm-hmm. he'll be that number nine. I have Jordan Morris on the left side. I think it's time to get another look at him under Burhalter, And then Chris Mueller on the right side as the winger. Mueller played on the left side in December because Jordan Morris wasn't available. He was still competing with the Seattle Sounders or, or had been right around the MLS Cup playoffs at that time. And so I've got Morris on the left and then Chris Mueller shifting over to the right side. All right. So there, there are your six names, which leaves a few spots and a few backup options as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We will talk about those in just a moment, but first, let's talk about today's sponsor. Joe, let's talk about Viore for a moment. Does that sound good to you? Oh, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> Taylor, I mean this. Almost nothing would make me happy. <laughs> why, why do you mean that? Why do you feel so strongly about Viore, Joe? Viore brings a new perspective on performance mm-hmm. apparel. It's perfect if you're sick and tired of traditional old workout gear. Man, I think that's something, especially after being inside so much and at home so much for the last 18 bajillion mm-hmm. months. That's very, very relatable. With Viore, everything is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. It's so comfortable, you'll want to wear it all the time. It really, their products really remind me of, there's an SNL commercial for like new leggings that some of the people are using them for performance training and MMA and stuff like that. And some people are using them to sit on the couch. I think that's Viore's sort of a vibe there that you can use them for climbing a mountain (laughs) and running a marathon, but you could also just wear it to look comfortable around the home, but still look nice. Like you're not just lounging in your uh, shirt that's been to the gym 400 times. Yeah, it is. Thankfully, it's designed to look great in everyday life because it's so incredibly versatile and comfortable. Mm-hmm. You can work out in it or you can do pretty much any other activity in it, too. And that's that's 
pretty darn awesome. <laughs> uh, some of the products that they wanted to spotlight would be the women's performance jogger, which is the softest jogger you'll ever own. Uh, the women's daily legging, no mistake in the name, you'll wear them daily. Uh, but then for the men, you've got the men's core short, the most comfortable lined athletic short there is. Uh, it's one short for every sport. I'd be interested to see if that's true because we have had some clothing companies in the past say that you could use their shorts for soccer, but soccer shorts have a specific feel and a look to them, I would say. So I'm wondering if these stack up, maybe we'll have to find out. Uh, Joe, if listeners did want to find out, how could they do so? Yeah, so you guys should go to vioriclothing.com slash TSS. That's V-U-O-R-I clothing.com slash TSS. Not only if you go there, not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but you will enjoy free shipping on any U.S. order over $75 and you get free return. So one more time, you can go to viore.com slash TSS and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. There we are. So thank you very much to Viore for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Thank you very much to 1010 for sponsoring today's episode. You may have read about this in the New York Times or Forbes. You may have heard about it on the show uh, the last couple weeks. We're excited to tell you more about it. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring, launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. And when they're gone, Taylor, they're gone. They are gone. We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It is a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people. And with 1010, it's been beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers, working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're making 2021 plans or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Again, this exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th, and you can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com. We are, so thank you very much to Blue Nile for sponsoring today's episode of the Total Soccer Show. Joe, we've done uh, the senior team, senior team roster, such as it is with those 12 players. We've gotten six of your starters. Let's talk about that Olympic roster, if that works for you. Uh, Why don't you start us off by telling us who our goalkeeper options are? So the three goalkeepers on this U23 roster, JT Martin. On this U23 roster, JT Marcinkowski of the San Jose Earthquakes, David Ochoa from RSL, Brady Scott from Austin FC, recently having moved to Austin as they enter their expansion season, or as they prepare, rather, to enter their, enter their expansion season. Three guys, three young guys. I'm just going to hop right into the analysis here, Taylor, Please. if you don't mind. Three younger guys. I don't think we're going to see any of them get a start over Matt Turner or Sean Johnson, but that's fine. For Jason Christ, that doesn't matter. He's looking at these players to be one of these players to be a starting goalkeeper for the U23 cycle. David Ochoa is a guy that I really like. He still hasn't broken in with RSL, but he's looked good with the US U20s in the past, even playing up an age group for that U20 cycle. I think he is a very talented young goalkeeper who could make an impact for the U23s. All right, so if you were picking, maybe let's say Berhalter decides to bring up one of these players as like a backup deputy option. Seems unlikely, but if he were to, who would you most like to see get that honor? 
I think it will most likely be Marcinkowski because I think he's been brought up before. Mm-hmm. But David Ochoa, for me, is still the highest potential guy of these three players, and so I'm going Ochoa. Okay. All right. I like it. I like it a lot. We've got 10 defenders. Again, 26 players on this roster. Not all of them getting called up. Just some of them will eventually be called up. Of the 10, we've got uh, Julian Araujo of the LA Galaxy, George Bello of Atlanta United, Chris Gloster of PSV, one of two European-based players called in, Aaron Herrera of RSL, Abubakar Keita, former Richmond kicker of the Columbus Crew, our second former Richmond kicker, uh, Henry Kessler of the New England Revolution, Mauricio Pineda of the Chicago Fire, Brian Reynolds, FC Dallas, Miles Robinson, Atlanta United, Sam Vines, Colorado Rapids. Whew. You tired after that a one? Bit, a little bit, especially <laughs> since there's so much to talk about here because there's lots of names there, but then there's also like little interesting things that I'm, I'm wondering. Like Chris Gloucester, for example, uh, I've been talking about needing to get the scouting network back up. This is another reason why I want to do that very soon <laughs> because Chris, Chris Gloucester is one who, last I heard, had, had been in the PSV senior team. He was listed in that squad. We had all these... Uh, Rosie yeah, outlooks for the season and is now not playing for young PSV, certainly not playing for the senior team either. And according to reports is potentially looking for a new club in January. So seeing him with the Olympic team, I, I hope will at least give him some confidence, but names like that confuse me a little bit. To be honest, Abubakar Keita, uh, while I'm pumped about it, uh, confuses me because then I wonder why we don't have Giassi Zardes. Joe, maybe you have a succinct answer for that one, but one crew player being there makes me feel like another one would have been as well. Yeah, the Jossie Zardes absence from that senior group of players is is bizarre to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he's not in this group. I think he's earned a look with this group after his season in MLS. I have no idea why he's not in this roster, and I hope we learn that. I'm sure we will, at least before the game, but I hope we learn that sooner rather than later, simply because I'm I'm curious. I, the only thing I can think is that it's one of those situations, aside from something went very wrong, or maybe he just needed a break is like maybe it's Berhalter saying like I know what I I know what he brings me I know he knows like he's in the system he's involved in the conversation but I want to get Josie back in there I want to see what other people can do I want to see some of these youngsters getting minutes and so maybe it's a we sort of know what Giassi's artist is going to bring so I want to see what somebody else can that is my justification uh not to speak for Greg Berhalter but that would be my guess no, that's fair because there are a lot of number nines in this Olympic group. If we skip forward briefly to that forward <laughs> yeah. group, it's, I mean, it's Daryl DK, it's Jeremy Abobasi who's best as, as a number nine and not out wide. It's Jesus Ferreira. I mean, there are three number nine options just in those players I mentioned and then add in the guys on the senior 12 roster. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of players vying for that spot, and so maybe Jossie just got a break after winning MLS Cup. Maybe so. Maybe so. All right, but uh, moving away from Jossie, let's get back to those defenders. (laughs) There are 10 of them. Uh, We've named them all. We don't necessarily need to talk about all of them, but in terms of the ones that you are excited to see included, uh, Joe, who's on there, and then we have three spots still to fill with that back line, so I'm assuming you've got some names to include there as well. So I'm going to highlight, I do, yes, I do have some names there. I'm going to highlight a few guys just as I'm reading through the players that you mentioned. Julian Araujo is a guy who I'm glad is continuing to be a part of the U.S. system. He's a dual national, obviously able to choose the United States or Mexico. That's not obvious, but that is obviously his decision as an individual. He's a guy who I think brings a lot of defensive chops to that right back spot. He started against El Salvador back in December. He's someone I'm interested to continue to watch with the Galaxy now under Greg Vanny and then with the national team whenever he gets looks on the field. George Bello, a guy I'm very excited to see in this group. I don't know that he will start in this game. I, I think he will probably move up to train with the senior group. 
but he is someone who brings a lot of talent. He was one of Atlanta United's most consistent players this past season in what was a very poor year for them. He's a guy who is going to be a big part of their season in 2021 if if the Major League Soccer season happens. Mm -hmm. And then one more, uh, two more guys, really quick. Mauricio Pineda, center back for the Chicago Fire. He can play defensive midfield as well. He is infinitely better as a center back, in my opinion, of course. I think he's got the ability to drive the ball forward as opposed to when he's playing as a defensive midfielder. He's not really comfortable with 360 degrees around him. He's better when he can move the ball forward, break lines with his passing, and dribble forward sometimes as well. The last guy. Brian Reynolds, yeah. he's in the middle of a transfer saga right now between, what is it, Juventus, AS Roma, Bruges. I mean, so many different clubs, I probably didn't even name them all. I certainly didn't name them all. He's a really high-ceiling guy at right back. Very raw still, but I'm glad he's in this group because he is an exciting young right back. Is FC Dallas like putting something in the water of their right backs? Is that what it is? <laughs> It must be. There's got to be some sort of chemical that they're just feeding Reggie Cannon and Brian <laughs> yeah. Reynolds and whoever's coming next. <laughs> I, I assume they're already they've already got somebody in line who is also hopefully drinking that water. Uh, do you have then Reynolds starting as your right back? I'm just thinking there's a really bad superhero movie in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the Dallas right back. I, I don't I'm glad, know, I'm glad you went that movie, way because I was going to go with like the uh, Argentina team of the 70s that had players who like, you know, tested positive for being pregnant, I think. <laughs> uh, let's not go that yeah. route. Let's not make any no. uh, references there. Let's just instead talk about potential starters in January. Yeah, I, I think Brian Reynolds is a guy who really could start. If you look at the senior group and it's Tristan Blackman, who is the only option at right back. And so if Brian Reynolds shows in camp, and if Berhalter wants to continue with the the more high-flying, out-wide right-back who gets forward in the Dest mold, he got a little bit away from that back in December with Araujo as that right-back. He didn't advance as high up the field all the time. If it's Reynolds, and if he shows well in training with Jason Christ, and then with, well, I guess it's combined training, but you get the idea. If he shows well, he could be very much an option to start to continue that European interest and maybe raise that price tag up just a little bit if the move hasn't happened by the end of January. All right, so we've got one more starter. Who else is going in there for you, Joe? I also have Mauricio Pineda, the guy I kind of raved about a little bit as a center back. I love his offensive ability, his ability to drive that ball forward. He was very fun to watch with Chicago. Not great all the time, still has room to improve defensively, which is kind of important for a center back. But he brings a lot to the field, a lot of unique qualities to the field that guys around him simply don't have. And that's why he's my right-sided center back in my starting 11. Are there any players in there that you think are sort of just like like automatic, like, yep, that's a person that Greg Berhalter is going to be in love with based on what we've seen from Berhalter, how we know he wants to play. Are there any players in those 10 that you think fit the bill more than others? I really do think that Brian Reynolds fits that bill very well. Sam Vines, another guy, because Vines played in January camp in that game in February against Costa Rica way back at the beginning of 2020. He played again back in December with that domestic camp that was playing against El Salvador. He's back here. I expect him to make that jump up and be chosen for the roster for the senior team game at the end of this camp and be a real part of the group going forward and then obviously going down and playing with Jason Christ and the Olympic group when necessary. And 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 for left back, your choice would be? He is also Sam that's Vines. What, that's I've got what I in my group. Yeah. I think Berhalter will do the same thing, and that's partly why I did it, but I also just really enjoy watching Sam Vines play soccer. He's got a great left foot, which is a, a good skill for a left <laughs> yeah. back. He can bend a ball into a dropping number nine. He can play a cross into the box, or he can move inside centrally and create an advantage in midfield for the whichever team he's playing on, Colorado 
or the men's national team. He's a versatile guy with a lot of upside. I like Sam Vines. All right. So we've got our, our back line, according to Joe. We've talked about some defenders. Let's talk about some midfielders. There are six of them. Hassani Dodson of Minnesota United. Uh, Brian Keo of Wolfsburg, the second player from Europe, uh, second of two. Andres Perea of Orlando City SC. Tanner Testman of FC Dallas. Eric Williamson, Portland Timbers. And Jackson Ewell of the San Jose Earthquakes. I want to start with that last name first. Joe, we didn't, like go over how you chose your starting 11 or maybe you did and i've already forgotten because uh you know sleep deprivation and whatnot we did not we did not taylor don't worry my assumption would be that jackson yule would be in that sort of number six position uh if we're going with what burhalter has done in the past what we think he might do uh if you were given the option to choose that number six or to choose the person who's kind of occupying that space is it jackson yule from this uh list of players or is it somebody else it is Jackson Ewell okay. for me because I, I think to the senior group and it's Kellen Acosta, not a natural number six as Christian Roldan, not a natural lone number six and Sebastian Legette, who's much more of an attacking player. Then I look at the Olympic eligible guys. Dotson is more of a number six. He's more defensive minded than Jackson Ewell, but he lacks that really clean ability on the ball that I like from Ewell. And then you got Ko, who's very, very young. I don't think he's going to feature in this game. Perea, who can't feature in this game still because of his affiliation with Columbia at youth level. Tanner Testament, which we'll talk about more in a little bit. Not necessarily a lone number six either. I would argue the same with Eric Williamson. And so that really does leave Jackson Ewell. There are downsides to that, to playing a guy who's more of a pass-first defend-later number six. There are issues with that, which I think we've talked about before with other players might have the initials MB or WT. (laughs) But um, Jackson Ewell's ability on the ball is really, really nice. He can ping that long diagonal that Berhalter likes. So if you have defensive cover around him and you're playing a team where you know you can be in control of the ball, Jackson Ewell is not a bad option for that number six, in my opinion. All right. All right. And then if you say we're going to talk about Tanner Tessman in a little bit, uh, deductive reasoning tells me that we've already talked about uh, Sebastian Legette as your sort of left-sided number eight. We have Jack Newell's number six. I'm assuming that means you've got Tanner Tessman starting as your other number eight? That is correct. You are very, very sharp there, Taylor. Tanner Tessman is my right-sided number eight. He's he's such an interesting story, right? He could have played as a kicker for Clemson. Instead, you know, came up through the FC Dallas Academy and now played a lot for them this past season or played at least a decent amount. Really good athlete, quick feet, not necessarily the fastest guy. Very strong, very tall He's got good skill on the ball, really you know, almost deceptive skill on the ball. He can pass. He can move forward. I don't know if he's a natural fit to play as a number eight. For Dallas, he mostly plays as part of a double pivot or occasionally as a lone number six. But I'm, I'm curious to see Tanner Testament. I don't think he'll start in this game in January, but it's my lineup and I'll do what I want. <laughs> I like it. I want to talk about two other names there. First being Andreas Pereira, as you said, or Pereira, excuse me, as you said, uh, not eligible to play yet because of his uh, connection to the Columbia U-17s and I think U-20s as well. Where yep. would he fit in if and when that becomes a possibility? He's another weird 6-8 hybrid. Okay. I think I'm... I'm Almost in the same place with Perea as I am with Williamson, kind of with Tessman as well. They're all guys who typically play as half of a double pivot with their club teams, with Orlando City, with Perea, you know, Tanner Tessman with Dallas and then Williamson with Portland. They play next to another number six most of the time. And so I just haven't seen them play a lone number six role, which it seems is the the possession shape that Berhalter has moved towards in 2020. And so I, I have a giant question mark next to all of them, but Perea is... 
Prey and Williamson both are high upside guys who performed well in Major League Soccer season. Well, in this past Major League Soccer season, I should say. And I think they have bright futures with a lot of you know skill in their games. And, and for Eric Williamson, if you were uh, like giving the kind of shorthand, the Cliff Notes version of his career, because in my mind, it's it's a lot of like the off field things of he's a he's in the DC catchment area, but he ends up with Portland. He has a brief stint in Portugal. There are these kind of weird outlier stories, but uh, I guess I wouldn't be talking so much about on the field production. So for you, Joe, what is like one or maybe a couple things that you think he brings into this, like that justifies this inclusion he's got a lot of defensive mobility and in a lot of smart defensive positioning to his game he he played next to Diego Chara for a lot of the season with the Timbers and, and if you play next to Diego Chara <laughs> you tend to look pretty good yeah. but I think Eric Williamson really was good this past season even setting Chara aside he got a real chance to start under Giovanni Savarese and he's mobile defensively he can trap players in and take the ball away from them and start counterattacks. That's my favorite attribute of his. It was magnified because he plays for the Timbers who like to do that sort of thing. Williamson helped them do that a lot. He sucked uh, an opposing team in, won the ball, and then moved it forward quickly, either with a quick pass or dribbling forward himself. Williamson is a guy who can start counterattacks, and he did that very well for the Timbers this past year. All right, so that is our potential midfield uh, for the Olympics, or some of the people that are eligible that have been called up. Uh, We should also talk about our forwards before we uh, close this one out. We've got seven forward options. Joe, you had all three starting positions filled by those more senior players. Uh, So why don't you first tell us who those seven forwards are, and then we can talk about their potential involvement in that January friendly. The seven forwards that I have so rudely placed on my bench, hmm. Cade Cowell from the San Jose Earthquakes, Daryl TK, Orlando City, Jeremy Abobasi of the Portland Timbers, Jesus Ferreira from FC Dallas, Jonathan Lewis of the Colorado Rapids, Benji Michel from Orlando City, and Georgie Mihailovic recently traded to the Montreal Impact. That's another big group. Not yeah. quite the, the size of the defensive group, but uh, there's a lot of players in there. Too. There are, and there are a lot of, like, like all caps players in my mind as well. It, it's a it's a thing that like looking at this squad overall, I have a lot of enthusiasm about every position. Like I think there's a lot of talent there. But those those names you mentioned, a lot of those names you mentioned have me feeling more optimistic than I expected about Olympic qualification. Not trying to put the cart before the horse or anything like that. But uh even with not having like been a diligent MLS viewer in the last few months. I am still aware of how good Daryl DK is and how exciting he has been. Uh, Abobasi obviously has uh, justified his inclusion here and I think continues to do so even at senior level. Jesus Ferreira, I've been hyped about for a long time. Jonathan Lewis, the same. It's a, it's a solid group. Georgie Mihailovic, I feel bad about because I can't claim to have watched a ton of Chicago. Uh, I, I, so like what looms the largest to me is his, uh, Matt Doyle's appraisal of him not being good on the half turn and him sort of being aware of that and commenting on it and Twitter, that still looms large in my head. What type of development have we seen from Georgia Mihailovic? How much has he improved over the last, say, year? We haven't really seen much development from him. He was the darling in camp leading up to Berhalter's first January camp back in 2019. All the buzz coming from that camp was Georgia Mihailovic. Man, this kid is really good. He could be really something for Chicago and for the men's national team. He he hasn't really turned into that. If anything, he's stagnated, which is unfortunate because he's got qualities that a lot of other attacking players in the pool don't have. He's really smooth on the ball when he has it. He can pick out a pass in the final third. He is he's either a number 10 or a winger who comes inside and plays in the half spaces to to attack the box and to thread balls in behind the back line. 
But with Chicago under under Vicky, he didn't really turn into a primary playmaker. Instead, he got moved over to Montreal recently and now will be playing for Thierry Henry and and will try to figure out how to impact that team. No pun intended there at all, though that was pretty good. I wish I had done it on purpose. <laughs> He's a guy who can still impact a club, and I, I think he will do that in Montreal. But man, his development has not hit that that uh, the height that we thought it might, or that the buzz thought it might back in 2019. Who of those other names of the seven that we were discussing currently has sort of justified that hype? Who has raised their their level of ability this past year? I think Daryl DK really has mm-hmm. done that. Not because he's been the best forward in Major League Soccer or the most consistent forward in Major League Soccer. But coming out of college with with the University of Virginia, then moving into Orlando City after they drafted him, he was not. I mean, he was a question mark. Mm-hmm. He, as a lot of college players are in their first year in Major League Soccer, I didn't know what we were going to see from Daryl DK, and he showed what he can do. He did not do it at a at an incredibly consistent level, but his physicality, his ability to turn and hit a strong shot with his right foot, or, or to link up play at times. He has so much potential, almost like we talked about with Brian Reynolds. The ceiling is really high. He's not hitting the ceiling very often yet. I mean, he's probably not hitting close to his ceiling very often yet, but he's a guy who Berhalter wanted to get a look at. He came into camp in December, got hurt, so he didn't play in that game against El Salvador. But I know that Berhalter and Jason Kreis have got to be very much looking forward to getting more time to watch and to train Daryl DK. Uh, Any other names you wanted to uh, discuss a little bit more in depth before we move on? Jesus Ferreira is a really interesting one because he he started back in February against Costa Rica. I thought he looked really Agreed. good. I talked with Luchi Gonzalez on MLS Assist, and he praised Jesus Ferreira for what he could do, his versatility, his ability to drop in and play between the lines as a number nine or to be just a number 10. And then with FC Dallas, he he wasn't very good this season. He didn't make a big impact for the team. He couldn't really find a consistent rhythm. And so he's coming back into this group, and maybe, like you said with Chris Gloucester, Taylor, this is a chance for him to potentially build some confidence and to learn from Josie Altador and some of the other players in this group. But Jesus Ferreira right now is more of a question mark than he's ever been in his young professional career. All right. I, I think that's a a slightly down but good note to end on because it gives us things to keep an eye on. It gives us things to, to watch out for as this camp comes together and as that friendly gets confirmed, the opponent, and then we can sort of look to who's going to make that squad, who ends up making the match day squad, who ends up starting in that game, and I'm sure Joe and I will be talking about that one. Uh, we will also be talking about a lot of other Americans who uh, are not in these rosters but did play this past weekend. We've got Josh Sargent, Tyler Adams, Zach Stefan, Christian Pulisic, and Gio Reyna still to be discussed but first let's take a break to talk about today's sponsor does that work for you mr lowry this episode is supported by fx's welcome to wrexham celebrity owners rob McElhenney and ryan reynolds's small town welsh football club has finally been promoted into league two after 15 seasons in the national league dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Oh, that works wonderfully for me, Taylor Rockwell. This episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Magic Spoon. Mm-hmm. First of all, incredible name yep. for a uh, product and a company. That is just 
That's very appetizing, which is good because that's uh, that's what this is all about. It is indeed. Magic Spoon makes uh, eating delicious cereal fun uh, because you can eat the cereal that you sort of remember eating as a child, but without the guilt that comes with it. Magic Spoon's uh, cereals offer zero sugar, 11 grams of protein, only three net carbs. Excuse me, only three net grams of carbs in each serving. Uh, and for me, a person who has not been playing soccer because of the pandemic, just had a baby, so is sort of eating when I can, but maybe not <laughs> eating healthily and maybe not exercising as much. I think anything that can sort of allow you to continue your normal like uh, routine of eating something for breakfast when you can that ideally is quick, but doesn't make you feel terrible, doesn't give you a sugar crash or anything like that, definitely works. And having a lot of different ap- options, which you do with Magic Spoon, be they uh, cocoa, fruity, frosted, or blueberry, that is also very nice. You get some variety, but you get a healthier option. Both of those things seem like positives to me. I think the uh, the quarantine man. I wish there was some alliteration there in terms. Of, you know, the freshman mm-hmm. fifteen when you're in college. I think I think we need the quarantine something. But either way, it should be a lot of pounds. Something that is healthy and tastes really good, like Magic Spoon does, is maybe more important now than ever. It's keto friendly. It's gluten free, grain free, soy free, low carb, and GMO free. But don't be scared. It tastes amazing, and it's it's almost too good to be true. All I can think of is quarantine quintuple, but if you have yeah, uh, gone up by almost. five times your normal size, that is a problem and not one that breakfast cereal will help you with. But if yeah, you do I don't think wanna, you're coming back from that one. I don't think so either. But if you do want to lose a little bit of weight, if you're trying to be uh, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, GMO-free, Magic Spoon is all of those things. So go to magicspoon.com slash TSS to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code TSS at checkout to save $5 off your first order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. I like a happiness guarantee. Uh, so if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. You do not need to send them your half-eaten bowl of cereal back. They will just refund it for you. Yeah, I don't I don't think they would appreciate no. that terribly much right now. But man, Taylor, after all this, I'm I'm getting hungry. This is kind of a problem at this point. There we go. So Joe, uh, <laughs> to satisfy that one, go to magicspoon.com slash TSS. Use code TSS to save $5. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring this podcast. One more time, magicspoon.com slash TSS. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. 
So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Joe, let's talk Americans abroad. With whom would you like to begin? Let's begin with Josh Okay, We talked about some number nines already, and he is... He is another option in that group, even though he's not in this January camp. I love the way you you started that with, like, we talked about number nine options, and he is one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Josh Sargent. I mean, he's I, – I just have so many yeah. questions about the depth chart mm-hmm. for the number nine position. And so if we can set that aside, which is kind sure. of hard for me to do, even though I complained about us having to talk about that for the next, you know, however many months. <laughs> if we set that aside after I brought it up once again – I like that we get more and more data points on Josh Sargent. Okay. Even though Werder Bremen is not a good team, no. they lost two to nothing to Union Berlin this past weekend with Josh Sargent starting up top as a number nine. Bremen is not good. They're not a very good Bundesliga no. team right now. But I like that we get to see more of Josh Sargent and to learn more about his game. And, and that brings me to my question for you, Taylor. What did you see from Josh Sargent in this game? What did you learn about him, what he does on the field against Union Berlin? A game that, uh, if I were playing that position, like I've played that at amateur level, that sort of leading the line in a 4-2-3-1, you're the outlet for the long balls, you're supposed to drop in and link up play. I saw a game that would really, really frustrate me if I were him. Because... Uh, looking at sort of his involvements, I saw a lot of like aggressive pressure. I saw a lot of defensive positioning. I saw a lot of challenging for loose balls. Uh, I did not see a lot of passes until the second half. I think he was 15 for 20 passes completed. I really do think the majority of those are in the second half once Union are up to nil and it feels sort of like Verda are going to struggle to get back into it. So I saw him trying to lead the line. I saw him fighting for everything. I think I will never doubt his effort, but I think when you look at the way Werder play, and it is sort of like trying to go long to him, trying to play into into his feet and build off of him, a lot of times it is a driven ball 20 or 30 yards into his feet as he's sprinting back to try to get open. And so I saw some loose touches. I saw some miscontrols. I did see a few quick passes here. There's one that leads to a goal that was eventually disallowed. So I saw him doing some of that work, but I, I think I really did struggle with it. And I'm not trying to just kind of go back to the, the common saying, but it's difficult to know because... Because Werder Bremen are just not a very good team, and his teammates don't necessarily cover themselves in glory. So it's not like he's getting these perfect passes into his feet, and then he dribbles out of bounds or miscontrols. It's sort of a lot of passes not even getting to him or being in the general vicinity of him, and then he has to fight for it. So all that is to say, as I began with, I saw a frustrating game for Josh Sargent. Not that he frustrated me, but I'm going to assume that game was just sort of a frustrating one for him to participate in. It might not be time for this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yep. I'm thinking here as you're talking about, you know, Werder Bremen's offensive issues and he's not getting the best service and all of those things. Is it time for Josh Sargent to try to find another club to move away from Werder Bremen and find a more offensively capable team? I mean, he only has one goal this season in a thousand plus yep. minutes or whatever it is. And that's not just because he's not scoring no. a lot of goals. That's because Werder Bremen doesn't do much with the ball. So is it time, Taylor? Is it time for him to, to start? 
you know, poking his head around and finding a different team? I will give you a lot more to this answer, but my answer is yes, which is odd because I don't like I don't necessarily feel comfortable with that because we're talking about a very young player who is starting yeah, regularly for a Bundesliga team. And as I talked about in the past with Manuel, a Bundesliga team that used to like they won the title in the early 2000s. They won the DFB Pokal in like 2010. It's not like he's playing with this perpetual minnow. It's a team that have had success. They just haven't necessarily had the funding and the support behind them to continue to be competitive at that level. So it's great that he's playing, but there is this weird moment when if you're playing for a team that are like teaching you bad habits or habits that aren't necessarily going to help you become a more well-rounded forward, they're teaching him to fight, to challenge for everything, to be smart when he does have time on the ball, to try to create in limited opportunities. Like That is all very good, but there comes a time when if you're just kind of only getting a few of those moments, you're only getting certain opportunities to develop, you start to play a certain way, you start to be identified as a certain type of player, and then you limit your future options. And if your team isn't going to kind of develop the way they're playing, then yeah, I think to some extent, he if he wants to become a more technical, all-rounded player, maybe that means dropping to two Bundesliga, maybe that means looking at other options in other leagues, maybe it's another Bundesliga team. But I, I do think if things don't turn around, if he doesn't get more opportunities, more chances, more touches in and around the box, I think, yeah, maybe just having his agent put out some feelers wouldn't be the worst idea. I like how you brought out the value of where he is right now with all the things that you learn playing for a team that is struggling, Mm -hmm. both mentally and emotionally, but also on the field. He's got to fight for every ball that comes to him because he doesn't know when the next one's going to come. He's got to be efficient with his actions, and he's got to work hard defensively, which I think is his best attribute right now. He's an effective and willing presser, and if we think about the, the men's national team, that's what Berhalter wants from that number yeah. nine, man. That's what Josie Altador doesn't bring even when he is healthy. Josh Sargent, more than Daryl DK, more than Jesus Ferreira, more than Ayoakinola, hampers and impresses and does all the things that, you know, bug opposing defenders and bug opposing goalkeepers. Josh Sargent is putting that on full display right now with Werder Bremen, and that does have value. But at the same time, offensively, man, I think he could look like an infinitely better player. With, with higher quality players around him and more of an offensive structure. And when, you know, what the timing of that move is or what it needs to be, I don't know, like you're saying, Taylor, but it does feel like it is progressing towards the point when a move yeah. is going to be more necessary. Because again, like I know it's odd to say that about a young, pl- a young American who's starting for a Bundesliga club five, 10 years ago. Yeah. We're like, can you believe this is happening? This is so exciting. What I keep going to, like the best way I guess I can explain it in like hazy detail is I occasionally listen to a podcast uh, called The Hidden Brain and they did an episode about like like uh, how brains respond to scarcity and if you grow up in an environment where resources are scarce you don't have a lot of like first world goods your brain becomes like you are constantly thinking about the immediate you're trying to deal with immediate problems whereas if you do have Uh, an abundance, if you do have more wealth, if you don't have to think like that, it allows for long-term planning, long-term development, long-term stability. And while that is a strange analogy to draw, I think you see where I'm going with it, that like with Werder Bremen, I think it's a lot of short-term, let's try to figure it out, let's see if we can get a goal, let's try to make something happen. I don't see him developing, I don't see the way they're playing, allowing him to get those opportunities that allow him to move to that next level. So again, I think... It's good that he's playing. It's good he's getting minutes. It seems like he's happy there. But I wonder how long that main, like, continues to be the case when it's 
uh, fighting for 14 duels a game and getting fouled all over the place and having to commit a lot of fouls himself. I saw him working really hard. I just don't know if that hard work is uh, best spent at Werder Bremen for the next five years. The player pool really has come kind of a far, yep. uh, come kind of a long ways in the last couple of years. The fact that we're even having this conversation in that it's potentially realistic is kind of blowing yeah. my mind right now. I mean, I don't think if Sargent moved, we would see a Weston McKennie-like bump when he moved from Schalke to Juventus, but I think we would see a bump. And yeah. I also think, you know, if if Josh Sargent moves to a club and is almost in a uh, Tim Weah situation where he's not playing all the time, that doesn't wreck the player pool at this point. That doesn't have everyone crumbling and, and everyone wondering why he ha- why he moved and why isn't he playing. Yeah. It's okay. We're at the point now where it's starting to be become okay for players to take risks in their in their movement and where they decide to go in their careers. And that's kind of a good place to be. Yeah. I, I have two more things to say. One is about what we've already been talking about. One is something that I would like to see him work on. The first thing is that like, if you look at how much stronger the midfield pool has become. Uh, the, like Alfredo Morales starting for Fortuna Dusseldorf. Again, that's another one where we have this guy. He's starting in the Bundesliga. He's playing for this team. That's really exciting. Uh, not so much in the Bundesliga uh, necessarily all the time, Dusseldorf. But as we get more talent in the midfield, you don't like have to bring in those players. There's less of a desire. And I think to some extent, Josh Sargent has benefited from a lack of development of the top-level strikers of those attacking options. That if we had a player starting for Juventus playing up top for them, and if we had a player starting for RB Leipzig and playing up top, I don't know if he is still getting as much attention if he doesn't continue to develop or move. So I think if other players start to sort of perform at club level and score some goals pretty regularly, or if you have Daryl DK come in and score a hat trick for the U.S., I think he might feel a little bit more pressure. One thing I think he could do to alleviate that is to maybe just be a little bit better when he is trying to link up play. As I said, I I kept seeing him leading the line, but then dropping in maybe 20 or 30 yards to try to pick up the ball off of one of the central midfielders. And sometimes it was a bad pass. Sometimes he's got somebody on him and somebody in front of him, and he can't really do much with it. But there were moments when I think his touch was heavy and other moments when I saw him not make that run as quickly as he needed to. And sometimes even he had to be told. You could see the midfielder gesturing for him to drop. And I think because he's a little bit slow to do it sometimes, he limits his options. If he's doing that immediately and the defender doesn't see it and now he's got a five-yard gap, he can turn with the ball. He can try to turn that defender when they overcommit. He can pass it back if he needs to, but he's got more variety. If he's got somebody on his back hounding him because he was slow to get into that space, either in terms of speed or decision-making, it just really limits what he can do. And so it ends up being a lot of square passes or trying to hold the ball up and then lay it off. And I think just a little bit faster in his decision-making and his mobility, I think that helps him as much as he can be helped with Werder Bremen. I 100% agree. I think there's room for him to improve. When he has a defender on his back and is dropping in, he, he can improve his ability to lay the ball off and keep possession. In this game against Union Berlin, he lost a lot of those balls, either aerial duels or he lost his touch or, or something happened where it was a turnover or didn't allow Verde Bremen to break out and break into the attack. When you're playing with a team like Bremen, those moments are so important. Yep. And I think there's room for him to become 
more efficient in the the few chances that he has when he's on the ball. All right. Well, we will obviously continue to talk about Josh Sargent uh, as we get into January. I'm assuming he's going to stay with Werder Bremen. I don't think anyone's going to come swooping in. But if they do, it will be discussed. I also don't (laughs) think anybody's going to be swooping in for Tyler Adams, mostly because I don't think Leipzig would want to part with him, though I do think he would make uh, many midfields and maybe defenses better. He got 81 minutes for Leipzig and a 1-0 loss to Stuttgart. I would say... Playing as a right back, but not really a right back, because I saw him as a right back, I saw him as a right winger, I saw him as a central midfielder. He was kind of all over the place, I think very much dependent or based on what Leipzig were trying to do in that given moment. I think that's a a specific task that's been assigned to him, and he seemed to do just fine with it despite the loss. Yeah, he's doing the Berhalter inverted right yep. back thing, right? Mm-hmm. He's doing exactly what Berhalter built or what we think Berhalter built for Tyler Adams back in January 2019. And then I think we actually saw Adams kind of do it against Ecuador in March of 2019 or whenever that game was in Orlando. He's doing that job for Julian Nagelsmann. He's staying wide sometimes when Leipzig have the ball on the right, providing width. But then if they move it over to the left side, Adams will tuck inside and find a seam or find a little bit of space get on the ball and and help move play forward or simply occupy a defender in midfield and create mm-hmm. an overload. He's doing that role that I think Berhalter wanted him to do and now probably doesn't really want him to do anymore. But it does show his versatility. And that has value in a national team context, in a club context too. But I would argue even more so with the national yeah. team when the player pool isn't probably as deep as Leipzig's roster <laughs> yeah. is deep. If Dest goes out and and maybe Reggie Cannon isn't available or whatever it is, Adams could still be an option at right back, mm-hmm. tucking inside and doing the thing that so many people really don't want him to do. He's a he's a potential player at that spot, and I think he did it actually really well against Stuttgart. I agree. I agree with everything you've said. And then I would add uh, to like the right winger comment I made. Obviously, he wasn't actually a right winger, but that there are moments when he goes central and almost becomes a third center back. There are moments when he goes central, becomes almost a third central midfielder, and then there are moments when I saw him on like the right touchline, forty yep. yards ahead of the play because he's made a run, uh, and he does a really good job of not just doing that every single time, but it tends to be when there's space when the pass is on or even when he knows that if he makes that run he pulls a defender with him he creates more space for other players in the midfield or building out of the back uh, and also on one of those runs because the crowd noise was there but I think it cut out for a moment uh, I did learn that Marcel Sabitzer's nickname is apparently Sabi because he screamed <laughs> it from the other side of the field and then the ball was delivered so I learned that as well and I appreciate that from Tyler Adams too I had kind of a eureka moment. I like that little anecdote there, Taylor. I like Sabi. I, I had a eureka moment watching this game. I kind of realized Tyler Adams is a really, really smart guy. Yep. I think he's really smart in his conversations. You hear interviews with Tyler Adams, and he's so well-spoken and so... He's a very good communicator, I think. And I think his smarts really do translate to the soccer field because... The role he's playing for Julian Nagelsmann, and really anybody that plays for Julian Nagelsmann, they have to be so aware of what's happening around them. Their shape changes almost from game to game. Mm-hmm. And even within games, things change all the time. And so with Adams playing as that flex right back center mid, you know, maybe even moving out wide at times, with him playing in that role, you've got to be so aware of what's happening around you. You have to have really solid positioning and good spatial awareness to know when to move inside and when to move outside and that that awareness and that mental ability translates to him as a number six as well. And, and work with me on this. If you think about the soccer field, right, and imagine the U.S. is in attack and they have the ball in the final third, and Tyler Adams is playing as the number six. If the U.S. loses the ball, Greg Berhalter wants them to counterpress. He wants them to try to win it right back. 
And when they counterpress, it's the forwards, it's the midfielders, it's sometimes it's the fullback. But it's not really that number six. It's more the advanced central midfielders who will push higher. Adam's job when he plays as a number six, and when he did this back in November, he is the stopper. He's in front of that back line trying to make sure that no longer passes can break in behind the pressing group of players. And in order to shut out all those passes, to close down the angles and to, to roam the field and win the ball back, you have to be so aware of where everyone is at all yep. times. You have to know what's happening around you because the soccer field is really big. And if you're not understanding what's happening, you could get totally caught out of position. Mm-hmm. And Tyler Adams' ability to recognize space and to move to stop plays, it, it's so critical to that number six role. And he does it so well and has the ability to do it well for a really long time. I agree with everything you said. I would then extend that to him in possession and in attack as well. That was another thing I saw from him in this game is, as you've already said, Leipzig requires a lot of like awareness of what's happening and where everybody is and spatial awareness and passing awareness. Julian Nagelsmann, like Leipzig on their own do that. Julian Nagelsmann like doubles down on that. (laughs) And there there were just times in this game when I could see Tyler Adams get the ball. He would open up to play it down the line and that pass was on. Like there was somebody who'd made the run in. He could have played it to them and you can see him check back and play it central or, or drop it back to the center back there. And it's not to say that, that this is some like otherworldly ability. It's just a thing that I think I kept noticing that he, I, I think can just read the sequences. He knows if I play that ball there, there's a defender there, there's a defender there. That's the end of that sequence or it's coming back to me and we have to reset. So why not just keep the ball moving around? Like, I think he's really good at understanding where that ball is supposed to go, but also understanding it's supposed to go there. But right now that's not the most ideal scenario. So instead I'm going to check down to my, like, my second or third option. And that ability to adjust what you're doing when you're playing in a fairly rigid system, I think is so fun fundamentally important that he can do it on both sides of the ball makes him fundamentally important it does and he he combines that that quality mental ability and understanding of the game and of space with really outstanding physical attributes too in the 18th minute of this game he's defending as a right back because he played there for most of this game he's defending on the right side and Stuttgart play a pass out to their left back so that's on Adam's side the pass was just a tiny bit short and Adams closed it down so quickly. He, he moved forward, he picked it off, intercepted it, and moved the ball forward into the attacking half for RB Leipzig. So he's got speed and he's got hops too. There was a moment <laughs> in the 75th minute, I think Stuttgart played a lofted ball forward into Adams' area. Adams was tucked inside in the back line at this point. And Adams is, I think, about 5'9". He's my height, basically. He's not a super tall guy, but he jumped so high in the air, won the ball so easily over the attacker, and cleared that danger in the moment. His ability as an athlete combined with his understanding of the game makes him such, such a good player. And he was pretty good in this game against Stuttgart, I would say. Um, I agree. I was, if people heard me shuffling papers, I was trying to find uh, my notes from this game. I have that exact moment written down. I have 18th minute Tyler Adams. So that makes me happy. Uh, Great minds, Taylor. uh, Anything else on Tyler Adams before we move on? I really don't have anything else to that's say right. other than I love Tyler Adams, and I think that's going to be true for many, 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 many more shows. I would agree with that. I would just add a final little thing. Uh, this was a game that Manuel and I had talked about because it is Stuttgart coached by uh, Pellegrino Matarazzo, the American, uh, for them to win this game. A pretty big deal given that they're recently promoted. So that did make me happy, albeit at the expense of Tyler Adams. I think in terms of my happiness rankings, Joe, you chose these five players, and the order you put them in sort of reflects my enthusiasm to talk about each one because – not to say that Tyler Adams had a bad game or anything like that. I just really enjoyed what we saw from our next couple players to be discussed, starting with Zach Steffen, who gets 90 minutes in a 3-1 win over Chelsea. 
in the Premier League for Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. Again, a sentence that I don't think I would have said a couple years ago and believe that it was possible. Uh, certainly didn't think Mix Discarude when he went to Man City was going to be the starter for them. But here we are with Zach Steffen starting and, and getting a win. I don't think he was necessarily the reason they won, but he, uh, he did his part. Yeah, I mean, Zach Steffen played, right? And that's that's good. We like that. No, I mean, I'm being a little bit harsh, but it is crazy. And I had that moment watching mm-hmm. Zach Steffen where I did a bit of a double take yeah. and, and had to check to make sure it was real. Not because he's starting. It's just so weird that he's there, yeah. right? It seems so strange going from Columbus and then playing in the Bundesliga on loan from Manchester City and now actually playing for a team that was the best team in the world a couple of seasons ago under a guy who's yeah. been largely, you know, decided as one of the greatest managers of all time and maybe the greatest manager of this current generation. Zach Steffen playing for Pep Guardiola and Man City is so bizarre. Um, and he, he gets the start because Aderson is isolating after testing mm-hmm. positive for COVID-19. So some really strange circumstances surrounding it. But uh, Zach Steffen played fairly well, I thought. I'm curious as to your... Your thoughts on his performance, but I thought his distribution was solid. I'm wondering if it's Manchester City good, (laughs) and I want to hear your thoughts on that in a moment. I thought his shot stopping was not really brought into play much in this game. Chelsea had, I think, two shots on target. One of them was a goal, and one of them was a really weird looping ball that Zach Steffen caught pretty easily. So maybe his, his work in goal, not as big of a deal, but distribution especially, I think, was solid. And so, Taylor, I don't know. I want to yeah. hear your thoughts on Zach Steffen and how he played in this game. First off, I agree with you on, on the shots faced. I think the goal, uh, for those who haven't seen it, it's a sort of, uh, I think he, he does clear it long and then Chelsea regain possession from that clearance. So I went back and looked, but he doesn't really have many options. And based on what they've been doing throughout the game, it didn't seem like a time when he was supposed to do a step over or try to go with a risky pass. It felt like in that moment when Chelsea have stepped forward, now's the time to hit that ball long. So no fault there, in my opinion. And then really mm-hmm. no fault on the on the goal itself because it is a, a counterattack. It's a really, really great ball uh, across the field from uh, Kai Havertz. Zinchenko spots the ball, but it's so perfect that like by the time it's being played, there's nothing he can do. Uh, Hudson-Odoi is there to finish it, so I don't fault Stefan for that one. So then let's talk about that distribution for a moment because... I think he doesn't necessarily cover himself in glory. I think he picks up a back pass early on in the game, uh, which was a little bit confusing. I think both teams were kind of confused about what had happened. So that was maybe not the greatest moment. But from there, I thought his distribution was, was fine. He, he did go for that sort of floated ball out to the flanks on a few occasions. And in my memory, it didn't work as many times as it did lead to a Chelsea throw in or lead to some sort of loose ball. But that aside, I thought his, his, quick passing, his just keeping the ball moving in sequences work was good. And I thought also his confidence was was like stood out to me just because there were times when he would kind of vacate the goal to keep the passing sequences going so that if you had both the center backs, like one kind of shifted over to the right, one more shifted over, or like one shifted more central, one shifted out to the left, he would fill that gap, which meant sometimes in possession he was... 12 yards away from his own goal, but like off to the side, which is not a thing you expect to see from a goalkeeper. I guess it is a thing you expect to see from a Pep Guardiola goalkeeper. And that was really what made me the most happy was just that Guardiola, to continue this for a while, sorry, Joe, is a manager we know that if he brings in a player and they don't fit with what he wants, he does not hesitate to bring in more players. He will do that at fullback, and he will certainly do that at goalkeeper. Brings in Claudio Bravo, that doesn't work. He brings in a Derson, and now here we are. 
And I say that just to say that he seems like a, a, a coach who's not going to go with Zach Steffen as his second-choice goalkeeper if he doesn't have faith in Zach Steffen to be the potential deputy if the situation requires. And I think Zach Steffen has improved his distribution such that Pep Guardiola has the confidence to play him, and he didn't stand out in a negative way. And so to me, that's a positive. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that you hit on right at the end there. He wasn't he wasn't bad in yep. this game. He didn't stand out. He didn't stick out like a sore thumb. He did what Pep Guardiola wanted him to do. He, mm-hmm. he moved the ball forward into midfield, occasionally moving it out wide to the fullbacks. I thought his, his distribution, especially to Rodri, dropping mm-hmm. down as that number six, I thought they had a really good connection in this game with Stefan in goal, building out and allowing City to move through pressure and to move the ball past that first line of pressure that Chelsea was putting on them. I thought Stefan was fine, and I think that's honestly a really good thing. I agree. My my other like limited thing, which is me saying it as never being a professional. Uh, so this is mostly a thing that I would see at amateur level. But like it was three 0 very quickly, and when it gets to that scoreline that fast, it's easy to kind of take your foot off a little bit or to just get a little bit overconfident. And I've played in those games when the ball is cleared and it goes all the way back to the goalkeeper who like takes a couple touches or wants to get a little bit more involved, and they're just kind of being a little bit goofy and. Again, at the professional level, I don't know how often you're going to see that. I just want to emphasize that we did not see that at all from Zach Steffen, that I felt like there were times when he could have slowed it down and sort of like, I just done something a little bit more here or there. And instead, I think he he made the smart choices of, yeah, to your point, when the ball gets booted 80 yards and he's got nobody but Roger within 30 yards of him, you might expect him to take a touch and take a dribble and let everybody get reset. And I like that this was near the end of the game, that ball goes to him and he one times it straight into the feet of Roger and then lets him make the decisions. And that is what I would kind of expect from a goalkeeper, not trying to overly complicate it, not trying to show off at all, but just kind of keeping it going, even when you're up by that scoreline. I think it shows his focus on that game and awareness that if he makes a mistake, Pep Guardiola is definitely going to let him hear about it. Yeah, I think he did everything that he needed to do and didn't make any massive mistakes. That back pass thing was, was pretty weird yeah. and strange, but I think that's a one-off situation. He was good enough, and I think yep. if Ederson continues to be sidelined, Zach Steffen is the guy as long as Ederson can't play. And I think that's that's a fine place to be. Yeah, I, 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 not to go too long on Zach Steffen. I don't know if he will ever be the starter for Man City. Like, we'll see how the career of Ederson develops. He does right now feel to me like the like couple seasons of a backup. And then suddenly somebody's like, oh, right, Man City's goalkeeper is actually a very good goalkeeper. And then they buy him and he becomes a, a regular starter in the Premier League or wherever. Until that happens, I think I'm still okay with him being a backup at City as long as it's under Pep Guardiola and he continues to develop his overall game. Uh, his counterpoint in this game would be, or counterpoint, I guess, would be Christian Pulisic, also an American, but not on the winning side. He did play 90 minutes in that 3-1 to loss. Uh, win for Man City, loss for Chelsea. And that's kind of a common thing for Chelsea right now. Uh, on a bad run, uh, lost four of their last six, I believe. Seven points from their last seven games. 26 points from 17 this season. It is not their worst start, but it's not far off of it. Um, I have some thoughts on Frank Lampard. We don't have to get into those. Let's instead start with talking about Christian Pulisic, because despite the loss, I thought he looked really, really good. I think he's looked good in every single game I've watched yep. him play this season, which is... A little bit wild, but I think it is an accurate indication of where he is in his career right now. He's a very, very good Premier League attacking player. He's dangerous when he has the ball at his feet. He can make runs into the box and cause problems there. I liked, especially in this game, Frank Lampard started him at left wing, and he's done that a couple of times recently. But earlier on in the year, it was a lot of Pulisic playing on the right side of the attack. 
And I like him playing on the left side for Lampard because that's where Berhalter plays him with the national team. And so when I watch Chelsea and when I watch Christian Pulisic, I like to see things that translate to what Berhalter is trying to do with the national team. And with Pulisic, he started left in this game, but moves right and, and moves right with the ball as an inverted winger and cuts inside but also moves inside positionally and allows Ben Chilwell to move down that left side and and occupy the the wide area. So it's Chilwell on the wide left channel, and then it's Pulisic in that half space. And that's where Berhalter so often uses his wingers. And I like seeing Pulisic operate in those tight little channels. He turned out of pressure really well between the lines. He's good at operating in those small spaces. And we got to see that against Manchester City, even though the game did not go Chelsea's way. And I appreciate every rep that we get to see Pulisic try to turn in between the lines and inside. And we did get to see that over the weekend. The moment that I I really want to spotlight with some of what you've said and then some other things in there is in the 30th minute. uh, Because this is, uh, I think, Chelsea, excuse me, Man City, I think, have had a a corner that gets kind of cleared. um, And he is contesting it with Jao Cancelo. And I would not have expected him to win this based on the like like where he is, how much ground he has to cover. But it's a 50-50. He sort of wins it, it pops up, but he does brings it down, brings it down the ball down. He turns Cancelo, he goes on a run, he gets fouled. I think it should have been a yellow, but Man City don't get yellows for professional fouls, so such is life. <laughs> but the like the fight, the physicality to challenge and win the ball, the skill to bring it down in, in like tight quarters, the awareness to recognize no passes are on, but then the ability to execute pulling it off so he can get away and start a counterattack before he's fouled. I really enjoyed that. And then to your point about like seeing him uh, do things that translate to the national team, I don't mean this as much as a backhanded compliment, but it kind of is. I also saw him sort of make decisions that were reminiscent of, I'll do it myself, because he was frustrated with his attacking options. Yeah. And there were moments when I could see him sort of look to pass and Timo Werner was not where he expected him to be or was already going to the back post instead of dropping in. And then Pulisic would just go on a run and try to beat him and try to get a shot off. And I didn't necessarily love that it was always or didn't always result in something good. But it did seem to me like Pulisic had ideas about what was supposed to be happening in the attack. And they didn't always happen because his attackers around him weren't necessarily helping. And vice versa, I saw him making runs into space or sort of making a run and then darting back, checking away, checking two, and Timo Werner playing the ball into space when he had checked in. And then when he made that run down the line, Timo Werner checking back and playing it to one of the midfielders. I think a lot of the disorganization of Chelsea's attack was on display in this game. And yet with all that, I still think Pulisic impressed and had a very good game, which again, was surprising to me because of how disjointed the attack looked at times. He has genuinely been one of the bright spots mm-hmm. from week to week on a struggling Chelsea team, and that's that's the reality right now. That's what Christian Pulisic brings to this team. He is one of the go-to guys in terms of his ability to create, also his ability to get into the box mm-hmm. and, and try to score a goal, which they're not... Well, they didn't have a ton of success in the most of this game. They score in stoppage time, I believe. But it's... I yeah. mean, it's... It's a, a lot of weight on Christian Pulisic's shoulders right now for Chelsea, which I see that parallel because that is, mm-hmm. in the past at least, what has happened with the men's national team. We'll see if that changes over the next year or two. But I just think with the, with the attacking talent that they did already have combined with the numbers that they brought in, I was worried. I did think like maybe this season's going to be rougher for him. He's not going to be an automatic yeah. inclusion. There's lots of other competition. Lampard might change up the formation. Kind of all of that has happened, and yet he has ridden that wave pretty successfully, even with injuries, even with having to miss some games. 
I, I agree with you that he has been consistently a good performer for them and I think has grown in confidence in a way that maybe when he first moved there, he would look to pass instead of shoot or look to keep it simple and take one or two touches instead of try to take somebody on. And I think he's growing into his game, growing into his confidence and and really looking like a, a much more well-rounded player. Uh, and he already looked like a pretty well-rounded player. So that makes me pretty pumped. Uh that said, there is one more player that I'm even more hyped about at the moment, but I did want to give you the opportunity to say anything else you wanted to say about Christian Pulisic. No, I'm just thinking maybe his beard that he had gave him some sort of power over the, the rest of the <laughs> wide attackers. I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's connected to the facial hair somehow. I like to think that it's just he keeps seeing Gio Reyna continue to do things. And think, <laughs> so I've got to elevate now as well. Otherwise, maybe I won't be the, the golden boy. Uh, Gio Reyna does continue to perform. He got 92 minutes, didn't play the whole game. Got 92, subbed out at the very end. I'm going to assume that was to kill some time. Uh, but he got 92 in a 2-0 win over Wolfsburg in Wolfsburg in the Bundesliga. Joe, I want to start with the obvious place. Uh, Dortmund-Wolfsburg, was this the least aesthetically pleasing color combination possible? <laughs> we had yellow and, like, neon green. I, when I, genuinely, when I, like, I wasn't paying as much attention when the game first started, and I was really confused by why Wolfsburg's goalkeeper was competing for, like, a ball on the touchline, and then I realized it was because they were just wearing a color I normally associate with goalkeepers. Joe, I turn it to you. Was this not the prettiest of games, at least in terms of the color choices? Yeah, the color choices were bad, and the only way it could have gotten worse is if they'd moved and, and played the game in Idaho. Boise State and college football <laughs> play on a, a blue turf field, like a bright blue. It's, somehow it's both a bright blue and a deep blue at the same time. Don't ask me how that works. I'm just telling you how it is. It is. If we'd seen the Dortmund yellow and the Wolfsburg green on top of that blue, that really would have been the blue cherry on top. That That is like if George Lucas wanted to make soccer exist in the Star Wars universe, <laughs> that's what he would have done. It would have been... Bright yellow versus neon green, electric green on a blue field with maybe add more like two more goals. And then and that's how it is. So, yeah, like a four goal sort of game where you can score at any point. Uh, Let's move away from the future and let's talk more about uh, Gio Reyna and his involvement in this game. Uh, Joe, anything in particular you enjoyed from this one? Yeah, I'm gonna, I feel like I'm kind of parroting myself here because I just talked about Pulisic moving inside and operating in the half space. But Reyna does the exact same thing for Borussia Dortmund, and it also translates to what Berhalter wants to do, which works out really well for everybody. Reyna, in this game, tucked inside from right wing, and then the second half, he played more on the left, but did similar things. He likes to move inward and then operate between the defensive yep. and midfield lines. So in this game, it was Wolfsburg's defensive and midfield lines that Reyna would, would sneak in between and try to get on the ball, get on the half turn, and then move the ball forward quickly, keeping his momentum moving into the attacking half, and making things happen at that point. He's really good at it, not just for an American teenager. He's really good at moving inside and receiving the ball and moving it forward for any player in a European top five league. He is excellent at advancing the ball with a smart positioning and good first touch. And he showed that repeatedly against Wolfsburg over the weekend, I thought. I agree. I also I want to ask your opinion on this one because Jaden Sancho scores in the in this game. I am also, I think, just sort of like down on Jaden Sancho. Obviously, he has not had as strong of a season as he has even last season. Uh, but that doesn't mean he's necessarily having a bad year or he himself isn't, isn't as good anymore. But watching this game, I don't know if it was because I was just focused on Reyna, but Reyna seemed to me to be the more like complete 
player in this game, which is, again, not a thing I expected, not a thing I would have said last season. But, uh, yeah, with the positional switching, it seemed like Reyna kept creating wherever he was. I felt like Sancho wasn't as comfortable at certain times when he wasn't entirely certain what he was being asked to do or as soon as they would switch. Like, I think they switch inside the first 10 minutes in both halves. And I think when Sancho suddenly has to do more defensive work, because I think uh, that's a thing that Reyna was definitely having to do, especially at the start of the second half. Uh, Ridley Baku, the Wolfsburg right back, was really aggressively getting forward. Reyna tracked him really, really well. And it's not to say that Sancho didn't. If anything, I saw Sancho really doing a good job of tracking back and doing the defensive job. But then I didn't see him be nearly as attacking when he was worried about his defensive responsibilities as Reyna, who as soon as the ball was won back, as soon as there was an opportunity, I felt like he was going for it. He was trying to create. I, I feel odd saying that, basically, that I saw Gio Reyna look better than Jaden Sancho. I, it, it genuinely makes me feel like I must have seen something wrong. I must be biased. And that could very well be the case. W- what did you make of him in relation to Jaden Sancho? I don't think it is unreasonable to say that Gio Reyna was better in this game than Jaden Sancho okay. was. And I don't think, I think, I think rather, I think we're at a point now where we might see that happen more and more often. Right. Maybe mm-hmm. we've seen it happen over the majority of this, this kind of first half of the season that's now done. Jaden Sancho hasn't been in elite form, top form, scoring a bunch of goals. He's just now potentially rounding into yep. form, but Gio Reyna has been. Better than he's ever been in, in a career that has not reached the heights that Jaden Sancho's career has reached. But it is not too far-fetched to say that Gio Reyna is in better form and is playing better than his wing counterpart in Jaden Sancho. So, yeah, I mean, Taylor, I'm, I'm, I'm with All you. All right. I, I just appreciate how awkward I was saying it because it, it feels wrong. Weird. Right? It feels wrong. It does. It does. Yeah. To yeah. saying like, oh, yeah, he's just better than that 100 million pound player. That didn't seem, <laughs> didn't seem totally correct. One thing I would say that stood out to me that I would encourage people to keep an eye on so when Dortmund get attacking corners, uh, Reyna sometimes is on uh, corner duty, but more often, at least in this game, I saw uh, staying back, that he's one of the players who they kind of drop in to do a more defensive job. And I, I really liked that, not because it's like, oh, he's not involved, whatever, but because he kept being the one when Wolfsburg would clear that was picking that ball up and then doing things with it, not just taking people on, not just doing stepovers, but sometimes it was a simple pass to kind of put Wolfsburg right back under pressure. Sometimes it was settled to pull, like settling, taking his time, pulling people out, and then finding options. Sometimes it was fighting for a 50-50 ball, winning it, and then reestablishing possession. But I saw a lot of variety in what he was doing, but the consistent thing was that he always sort of put out the fire when there was a potential counterattack off of a Dortmund corner. He just seemed really good and really calming in those moments. Again, not necessarily a thing I've come to identify from him, but a thing that I will from now on, that defensive work but the calmness and then the ability to keep possession going all at once, it, gave, it made me thumbs up. It made me thumbs up, Joe. I'm, I've got thumbs up for, for Gio Reyna. I mean, that's what we like to hear. Yeah. And I'm going to be watching more of his defensive work in the future because I didn't key in on that. Mm-hmm. That's not to say it wasn't there. I just wasn't paying attention to it in all honesty. So I want to see more of that. But I also do like how you brought up the fact that Gio Reyna is kind of unfazed yep. by pressure. He's kind of unfazed by everything that happens on the field. He's starting for one of the best teams in the world at such a young age. He's probably not phased by much. Certainly on the soccer field, he's not phased by much. And I think you do see that quality that he has in the moments when he's facing a little bit of pressure or he's responsible for making something happen. He has no issue doing that repeatedly. And uh, he's a pretty special young player. And, and I think that that 
ability to make decisions and have them be correct is such an important part of what makes elite level footballers that seeing him do that routinely, it's honestly, it's a thing that Christian Pulisic does really, really, really well is he makes decisions quickly and then executes them equally quickly. So if yeah. he decides he's going to goal, that first touch is towards goal, but it's under control. It's never a, like, he makes that decision a half second too late. So then that first touch is maybe two yards too heavy. He's able to identify the situation, evaluate his options, and choose, I would say, usually the best one pretty effectively. And to your point, I saw Giorena do the exact same thing, that sometimes it's just boot the ball clear. When it's loose in our box, we're not going to mess around with it. But sometimes it is, oh, I've got a couple yards of space, even if I'm in my own 18 off of a off of a, a cross ball, I'm going to bring it down, turn, like, like, like take on a defender or make a simple pass and make a simple wall pass. And I just think he evaluates things really, really quickly in a way that just makes me optimistic for what's to come next. So that's why I say Giorena is probably the player that I was most excited about coming out of this weekend. And I'm not sure that was necessarily the case heading into it. He fits so well into what Dortmund are trying to do, yep. even though they're in this transitional period right now. He fits so well into what Baralter wants to do. I mean, he fits almost eerily well, which <laughs> I guess isn't a coincidence because Baralter's smart and can tailor how he wants to play around his best players. And we're getting to the point where Gio Reyna is in is very much in the conversation as one of those best players. There we are. All right. Uh, so an optimistic note to end on, I would say. I'm assuming we're ending here because we have gone long as we are wont to do. But I think <laughs> a double roster release and five players doing uh, some decent things in Europe, always worth discussing. Joe, any other players you wanted to mention? Any other things we should discuss before we call it a day? Taylor, I am all good on my go. end. All right. Well, Joe Lowry, thank you very much for taking all of the time to talk about all of those many things today. It is my pleasure, Taylor. Thank you, as always, for having me. Of course. Listeners, thank you very much for listening. We will be back again tomorrow. And when I say we, I mean Joe. <laughs>